Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast, a podcast that equips therapists to thrive in business, expand their reach, and create flourishing and meaningful lives, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Claire Blakey. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. I believe in being a multi-passionate therapist. You can have a thriving, financially impactful business, be a leader in the community, and also a business entrepreneur. You don't have to choose, and your impact as a clinician can go beyond the therapy room. I believe that you can be a therapist and an entrepreneur, a therapreneur, and I believe that every therapist deserves the tools, community, and resources to build thriving businesses and flourishing lives. I pair my passion and previous career in PR, marketing, and blogging with my education and experience as a clinician to equip therapists like you who are multi-passionate and wanting to pursue additional opportunities to grow your skill set and expand your reach. So what are we waiting for? Let's get going. Let's create impact and build flourishing lives and businesses we're proud of. Here we go. We go to Google for everything from recipes to answers to our most burning questions. But did you know that many people are also looking for therapists on Google? SEO or search engine optimization is the number one way many therapists get clients. And you can learn how to optimize your website for search engines too. This spring, I enrolled in Optimize Your Practice, Therapy SEO's signature group coaching program for therapists who want to learn SEO. Although SEO can get super technical and complicated, Christy Platinga, Therapy SEO's founder, made it super accessible, and I've already implemented things that I've learned in the program. So if you're tired of wondering where your next clients are coming from, Head to optimizeyourpractice.com slash waitlist to get more information about how learning SEO can transform your private practice. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast. So excited to have you here today. Do you want to take a moment and just say hello to the audience and introduce who you are? Yes, yes. Hello to everyone listening right now. So glad that you are here. Um, Claire has a fantastic podcast. I've listened to the last couple episodes, so thrilled that you asked me to be on here. I am Ashley Kwame, a licensed marriage and family therapist clinician, um, just as many of you are. And, you know, I specialize on the clinical side in treating couples, uh, couples with financial issues. Um, most recently. And as Claire and I were just talking, you know, kind of before we hit record recently, I've branched out into specializing in helping financial planners and also mental health practitioners with uncovering their money stories um, through the use of financial therapy tools and tactics. Hmm. Could you kind of deepen for us? Because I know for me, I'm still learning and that even the term financial therapy, I feel like for a lot of us isn't as common as it probably should be. Could you kind of deepen what that is and what is that process to become like certified through that look like? Yeah, absolutely. It's really quite simply, it is the um, synergy or integration between finance world, money world, financial planning, right? And the therapy aspect um, of it. So how we think, feel, do uh, behave around money, 
um, what emotions it brings up, what thoughts it brings up, um, where do our money beliefs come from as therapists? It's like therapy training 101, like look into the past and figure out how we got here. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. no different within the financial therapy, although I'm, you know, oversimplifying it, uh, probably a little bit, but it's a very similar approach, right? How, how did we get to this place and doing money the way that we, for many clinicians may be more familiar uh, with disorders such as hoarding, compulsive buying, gambling. This is an area within uh, financial therapy uh, that therapists can really come in and, and learn a lot and and be really helpful. Be really helpful. In mm, I love that. Well, and even you naming like disorders like hoarding or other things like that even kind of puts like a visual image of like the way money could be interacted with, or it kind of like gives you a picture where I, sometimes I feel like money is very abstract yeah. and like not concrete and it's hard to describe But when you even just give examples like that, that like makes me really curious. So I'm just curious if you could deepen that a little bit, like, are there certain like models or like, what would you say? Like when you talk to therapists that I want to work with money and are there a certain like characteristics of money mindset that tend to be common? Yeah. And like, what are those? That's a great question. So first, I guess, before I answer that, let me just say that money is the one thing that we all touch. Right. And I don't just mm. mean physically, but like it, it, it's part of every single person's life. Um, and I know I'm speaking in absolutes and that's like a therapist. No, no. Right. Um, but generally speaking, right. For 99.999% of the population, the world, right. We all have experience with money. So it is a resource that we don't come out of life without interacting with. And so, you know, through those experiences that are built starting in childhood, right. Much like for any of you, for any of your listeners familiar or work within the attachment, um, yeah. you know, lens, right. I practice from a couple standpoint, using attachment theory, emotionally focused uh, therapy. And, you know, those early experiences, those early touch points that we have, albeit conscious or unconscious, they shape the way that we come to understand, the way we come to feel, the way mm. we come to behave around money. And so, yes, there are um, some descriptors, more specific descriptors or categories. Um, if you will, much like with attachment theory, I will give credit where credit is due. Dr. Brad Klontz is a financial psychologist and certified financial planner. He is, um, I'm a groupie. Um, so like shout out Dr. Brad Klontz, uh, but he has coined this term money scripts and money scripts are really just our unconscious beliefs around, around money. Yeah. And what would be examples of like money scripts? Like what tends? So he has categorized them into really four main scripts. One being uh, money avoidant, uh, money mm. vigilant, money status and money worship. And so, Ooh. yeah, you can kind of just in listening to those a similar, it, it reminds me so much of just our attachment styles, right? Like just yeah. in like the actual name, you can kind of get a sense of probably behaviorally, like those things play out, right? Like money avoidant, 
probably being the most obvious one, right? Avoiding, dealing with, interacting, thinking, um, thinking about money. And it's important, it's important for everyone, but particularly for, you know, private practice clinicians who are in business to understand what their money script is, to understand what their money story is, because it is going to directly shape how they operate their business. And their bottom line. <laughs> yes, totally. Well, I'm wondering, could we do like a little bit of a deep dive on each of those? Because I'm like, I'm curious how that would show up for yeah. private practice clinicians or therapreneurs if you want to pursue other endeavors and your money mindset or your money script is holding you back from taking a leap or holding you back from, you know, pivoting or changing your mind or um, having courage to cultivate a new idea or a new business. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, let's dive in. So the most common one that shows up for actually mental health providers, and this has been researched, which is so cool, but also like hashtag, like not cool, kind of worrisome, (laughs) Um, is that for most mental health practitioners, they tend to be money avoiders. Um, Mm -hmm. And and my, what I would be curious to know and see from having more research done is for those that are in the private practice entrepreneurial space, maybe they aren't as money avoidant, right? Because I just think it takes, and this is my opinion, this is not like based in fact, but my opinion is, is that if you're going to go into that space of being an entrepreneur, like you have to kind of have a little bit of that um, comfortability or no fear around learning you know, not being afraid to like learn how to do something. And so I would be curious, but anyway, by and large, like research shows that mental health providers tend to be more money avoidant. Yeah. Well, and I would even say too, cause I feel like I do agree to a certain extent. Like I think if you're in private practice, you would hope that there's more of that entrepreneurship flavor, yeah. but I've been surprised because I feel like there's some people that I've met that are in private practice that don't really consider themselves a business owner yeah. or don't really view their business as a business. And so I do think there's a lot of avoidance there where conversations about raising your rate or doing certain things like that are like yes. almost shamed or like, don't talk about that. Like we right. don't talk about money. So I, I, I actually do, I don't personally see that for myself as much, but I do see that sometimes when I engage with other uh, private practice clinicians, where there is this kind of taboo, like, let's not rock the boat. Let's not. Yeah. I, I think that all of that is true and really descriptive of what a money of, you know, a money avoider would be right. Believing that they don't deserve money or that people with a lot of money are greedy or that money is bad. Um, living less is more right. Living with less is more, Mm -hmm. you know, desirable or having this like unconscious belief, um, around, you know, having, you know, as little as possible. Um, but it's, it's, it's the Mm -hmm. active mental work of not, not working with it, not embracing it not learning about it. Kind of the sticking your head in the sand to kind of financially what is going on in your world. And for example, the raising your rates, one of the most common things that I also experience too with private practice clinicians, right, is, Mm. you know, I want to raise my rates, but I'm so scared to tell my clients and uh, maybe I just won't. Now's not a good time to do that. I'll just wait. When is a good time? (laughs) It's a classic like money avoiders. And, you know, from a business standpoint, like this impacts our bottom line, right? And not even just our bottom line, but also our own 
you know, sense of, you know, just self-care and our own mental health. Mm. Right. I saw this really great quote and I hate that. I can't remember who said it because I also love giving people credit, but, um, they said that financial self-care is self-care and something as simple as raising our rate, like that's financial self-care, right? Creating a savings account, putting money towards like our 401k, um, as business owners, right? Like that's financial self-care. Yes. So many avoiders in general tend to actively, um, avoid and, and much of it's like unconscious. Like I said, like they don't realize they're doing it. Mm. They're not trying to do it on purpose or maybe they are, but, um, it's just a lack of awareness, um, and, and desire Mm. to think about it and learn, um, learn about it. What would be the next one? I'm trying to remember that list. Yeah. So kind of the opposite really to that would be like someone who's money vigilant, right? They are acutely aware, right. Of, of money and finances. They know their net profit for the week. (laughs) They are like calculating up how much like gross, right. They probably made for that week, how many clients at what rate, you know, if they're taking insurance, what was the insurance reimbursed? They know all the insurance reimbursement rates for every single panel for every single code. Right. Yeah. So it's like kind of like type a of, yeah, yeah, it can be. Um, you know, they believe in that it is important, you know, to save and to have enough money. They, you know, research shows that they tend to have a higher sense of financial health, um, business and personal too. They Mm -hmm. are probably more comfortable raising their rates, right? Because they say like, I got to live too. Yeah. They see the bottom feast or famine out here, like in this inflation economy, like, you know, sorry. Um, you know, and that might be a little bit extreme or harsh, but they, they don't feel the same sense of guilt and shame that money avoiders do. If that, if that makes sense, um, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I almost feel like that feels a little bit of an anomaly in our field. Like, I feel like I'm trying to think like whenever we describe theories, whether it's attachment, like you've talked about, or the financial theories, like you kind of like visualize a person that, you know, that kind of like matches that. And like, I can't really visualize that many private practice clinicians that have that type of gumption and confidence and attention to detail and um, advocacy for themselves and for their business. And so it is, I would say that I lean more towards being money vigilant just personally. And so, right. Like when I have conversations with friends and, you know, I'm like, Oh, so-and-so like no showed. Right. And they're like, did you charge them? And I'm like, yeah, I definitely charge them. Of course, that's part of my or policy. Canceled, right? It's like, oh, don't you feel bad for late canceling for them? Like they forgot, like they had to do like car line, like pick up. And mm, like, yes, I can empathize as a mom, like what it's like to forget things, of mm-hmm. course, but financially also, right? Like this is my policy yeah. and I also care about myself too um, and my own financial mm-hmm. health. And so- this is an upfront policy that I'm transparent on. So my level of guilt is really not so much, but I have empathy, right? I have that. I don't have empathetic boundaries. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I would agree with you that I think having that visual of what a money vigilant clinician, um, a therapreneur, right. looks like 
I would love to meet others who are like-minded in that way. Um, Maybe we can band together um, and create our advocacy group uh, for others. That would be incredible. Yeah, we need that. (laughs) And what about the next? Yeah. So after that, we've got like money worship, um, which I don't know how much, you know, maybe some of your listeners do, but from a business sense, um, you know, they personal sense too, um, they believe that money is really Mm -hmm. kind of the key to happiness. Um, money solves problems and solves, solves. So it's the solution to problems, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And that pursuit of like making more, making more, making more, it, 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 they're never quite satisfied with them. Yeah. Um, they kind of, they hold money like up on this pedestal, right. Or, and it's not just maybe so much money, but it's maybe a salary number, right. Maybe it's a hundred thousand dollars, right. That's six figure, right. Mark. Yeah. I feel like that is like the trending number that people say is success. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, for folks that, you know, believe, right. Believe that, that hold on to that, like money worshiping, um, script. They, they don't always tend to be the happy, happiest, you know, they may also be the ones that yeah. are doing all of these side hustles, like just trying to like make more super spread thin yeah. and, and the side yeah. hustles. It's not that, you know, don't hear me and that side hustles are bad because it's mm. not that they are, but what is the purpose behind it? Right. Is it because you're trying to reach that six yeah. figure mark? you know, is it to reach like a certain level of satisfaction? Um, you know, interestingly yeah. enough, like money worshipers also tend to carry more credit card debt. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like a complicated relationship with money. And like, also that piece of like, do you think that also kind of ties into like maybe appearance yeah. oriented of like, what, if you value, I know this is like a stereotype, but like, if you value a certain number, you value certain titles that maybe you're trying to like prove to people that you have sure. a certain level of income or ability to provide. What I think about as you've been talking about this, and because I like to kind of think about all those pieces as like growing opportunities, right? Because I imagine some of us see different parts of ourselves yeah. in each of those scripts. Maybe some of us have like a fully identified script, but like as a growing opportunity, I imagine for the worshiper of money, I kind of imagine like kind of a lot of what I know you talked about this a little bit in our messages back and forth. And it's also such a heartbeat of the flourishing therapeneur, but like the human piece of like your human first therapist second or human first before you're a business owner or all those things and the detriment or the growth opportunity I imagine for a money worshiper is, you know, that piece of like, you might, because you're so focused on wanting more money or wanting a certain thing that you're actually like time poor, or you're actually, you know, like the other areas of your life that you can't always, you know, quantify or um, put a number to, like it actually might, you know, retract from what you're actually hoping for, which is success or, you know, happiness. But if you're so spread thin or you're so depleted by each endeavor that you're trying to do to make X, Y, and Z, is that happiness? Is that wealth? Or is that actually emotional and relational poverty or life poverty? Because you're not able to go to your kid's soccer game, or you're not able to do date night with your partner or whatever. You're not able to retire at 55, 60, 65, and you have to keep seeing clients or working, right? Because 
that level of credit card debt and spending has been so profound that, you know, instead of putting money into your Roths, into your 401k, into your investment portfolios, you've been paying down like credit card debt and you've been taking out, you know, maybe more on your, um, you know, home equity loans, like for your mortgage and that house that you actually really purchased like 40 years ago, that should have been paid off. Like you've still got 10 years left on it. Talking about time poor, you know, I, I mm. like what you said as far as it's lifestyle. It can be lifestyle poor, right? A misalignment even with like values too, you know, mm. um, not really living in accordance with what you value um, to some degree. Mm. Uh, and you can imagine, we all can imagine, right, as clinicians, like what kind of impact that can have on someone from a self-worth, self-esteem standpoint. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So the last one, um, or the fourth one I should say, um, would be money status. Um, and so money status, I think can sometimes often get confused with, with money worship. Um, but there's some distinct differences there just in that for money status folks, um, their objective is more about, you know, they say like self-worth equals net worth or your net worth equals, equals your self-worth. Right. And so oh. it's not so much focused on the outward things as much as having like the financial assets um, and that directly correlating mm-hmm. to feeling or directly correlating to how they feel about themselves. They can be, you know, at risk for overspending. Right. You know, mm-hmm. believing that having like a high social standard, right? Like is important, Yeah. you know, or folks that maybe grew up in lower income situations, mm-hmm. um, seeing that people are better if they have higher net worths, right? Those people that grew up wealthier mm-hmm. or having more, um, they are better. So it's more of a tie to like who you are, your identity, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm curious how that would show up for like a private practice clinician, because I wonder like that piece of, you know, when we talked about like raising rates and things like that. Yeah. If there's like a lot of those pieces of self-doubt or I'm imagining like if that was your narrative or that was your script and say you have a really slow week or maybe your month doesn't hit the numbers they typically does. How do you internalize that as a human? How do you internalize that as a business owner? How do you let that dictate, you know, the direction that you take? Um, That sounds really, really hard. Like, I think for business owners too, and you can tell me your thoughts on this, but I hear not just private practice clinicians, but um, self-employed individuals, business owners, it's, it's this, some of, some of them have this mindset of, if I just do good work, everything will work out. Um, I just like leave this like virtuous, like life, right. If I'm like a good clinician, right. Like the money will come, Mm -hmm. right. You know, uh, I mean, I think that there can be some level of that too, Mm -hmm. you know, that I'm a good person, therefore I will be fine. Right. But maybe even on the flip side, as you were saying, I've had a bad month, right. Or I'm not getting the referral. I'm not generating referrals. Like I want to, you know, then what does that mean yeah. about me? Right. I don't have the savings mm-hmm. that nest egg in my account, right. Maybe to go pursue that certification in EMDR or EFT yeah. or 
you know, brain spotting, what have you, like, I don't have the money to do that. Right. Therefore I can never be a good, I'll never be able to be a good clinician. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and how much of that too, would you say, I know not necessarily just for that type, but just in general of that piece of, I feel like a broken record sometimes, cause I feel like I say this a lot, but like, I do feel like there's such a divide sometimes between the therapeutic maybe mentality that we're given in grad school or through training versus what the mindset of a business owner is and the innovation. And sometimes they really contradict or conflict or um, create a friction. And so, yeah, I'm just wondering like how that would show up too. It's this like, (laughs) my husband, so side note, taught my husband the expression double bind when we were going through grad school. And if he listens to this, he's going to be mortified that I'm sharing this, but, um, he loves to bring that up, that double bind scenario. I mean, I'm I'm living a double bind. My life is a double bind, (laughs) which is not true. Um, but we have a very teasing nature with each other, but to your point, it like reminds me of that. Like we're supposed to be like good clinicians. We're supposed to be giving right of ourself, of our time, of our energy. And yet here's this pull and rub to like make money. And I think that we yeah. get lost in grad schools from at least when I was going through kind of graduate, my graduate program, like they don't do a good job of saying directly you are not a bad person. If you want to make money in this field, Mm. business owner as a clinician, right. But there's this assumption that like, you should want to do pro bono work. You should want to work for less, you know? And then Mm. when it's, Hey, like I'm having a hard time making my rent because I'm charging significantly less right. Then what I'm worth. Yeah. Right. Sure. It feels good to give away our time. Right. But at what cost? Right. Uh, and so I don't think that we learn those things in grad school. I didn't. Let me just not overgeneralize here. I did not. And I will also say that my graduate yeah. program was fantastic. I love, I loved it. But it did lack that business part, that money part, right? To where it can feel kind of like, you know, damned if I do, damned if I don't, right? Totally. It feels like my yeah. life is a double bud. It's clean. <laughs> I love that example. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering for the audience and just even for myself, as I engage in this conversation with you, like how can, if we're listening, if people are listening right now, like how can they work through and maybe challenge themselves with some of these scripts or like, where do they even begin with, you know, maybe they identified as you shared, they're like, wow, that's me. I'm definitely avoidant or I'm definitely a money worshiper where can they begin to grow or how do they begin to like nourish and heal those parts of their money? Yeah, that's a great question. So first, um, the financial therapy association has wonderful resources on their website. They have a free journal. Like you can go and look through research, um, for those that are research oriented and minded, you know, and want, want to know (laughs) Dr. Brad Klontz, he has his own firm and he's all over social media. Um, if you type in Dr. Brad Klontz, his TikTok profile show up, he's got like a bajillion people, I think on TikTok, he talks a lot about it. Um, and he's also written a fantastic book called Mind Over Money that breaks down a lot of these um, money scripts um, in a more pragmatic way, but in a way that for oh, most cool. clinicians, they're going to, I don't know about you, Claire, but, and maybe even your listeners, but I feel like anytime I'm reading any sort of 
professional book literature, what have you, I'm always like, huh, how does that apply to me? So it's one of those books that I don't think most clinicians will read it and not be able to like think about themselves. Um, a lot of self-reflection. Absolutely. Um, Morgan Housel wrote the psychology of money, um, which is also just a fantastic, um, fantastic read on, on more kind of the psychological aspect to spending like saving, but specifically the money scripts that we talked about today, Dr. Brad Klontz would be, um, again, kind of the guru genius behind all of that. He and his team. Um, and so he's, all over the internet. Um, his firm is your mental wealth advisor. Advisors are your mental wealth. Um, I apologize. I don't have that direct link, but I can send it to you. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a great place to start, um, between the financial therapy association and Dr. Brad Klontz. Um, for those that are listening that want to, they recognize maybe like, Hey, like, I've got some things and I want to make improvements. Like I want to make gains. I don't want to continue to operate in this way and allow my financial story to dictate my financial future. You can absolutely reach out to me. I offer coaching, financial mindset coaching for clinicians and couples. It's more than happy, you know, to dive into that. I'm pretty accessible by Instagram and or email. I can give you all of that. Yeah, which would be, which would be great. So yeah, hopefully between some of those, several of those being free, um, you know, mm -hmm. resources, your listeners can start to dabble is what I would say. And maybe piecing together their money yeah. story and just how to work um, through that if they're willing. Yeah. That's wonderful. And then what would you describe? Because it sounds like there's a lot, like the things that you listed, whether it's books, whether it's TikTok accounts, like things like that. But when it comes to coaching, like what I would be curious about just so, and I'm sure maybe listeners have the same question as well. Does it tend to be like a one-time thing? Is it like kind of like therapy where you go weekly? Like walk me yeah. through what that could potentially look like for a business owner. Yeah. So how I have things set up, this is for myself. So I can't speak for other um, for other folks that do financial mindset coaching, but at least how I structure things is it's a minimum of six sessions and that shouldn't be too unfamiliar for most therapists, because as we know, you can't accomplish a whole lot in just one hour. Um, and so I ask for a minimum commitment of six sessions and through those sessions, I walk through developing and uncovering what the clinician's money story is. How does that show up in their business and their personal life too? Because let's be honest, if it's showing up in your business, it might also be showing up in your personal life too. And so my hope is, is that through uncovering those using some solution focused techniques and tactics, um, some emotional behavioral uh, tactics as well, that we can help you, I can help you become more aligned with what you really value and how the narrative that you want for your future, you know, the money narrative that you want for your future. Um, and so depending upon like where people are, much like our clients, like some do it in six and they're like, awesome. Like some might need a little bit of extra care. Um, and, you know, and in that way, we might move to more of a maintenance um, type of arrangement, which is kind of dependent person by person. So that's how I structure 
things. Um, I pull from emotion-focused therapy. I pull from solution-focused motivational interviewing, along with just some of the other financial therapy uh, research that's out there. Very too. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that. And it sounds, I like what you kind of use that example of comparing it kind of to the therapeutic process of like, you're right. Like you don't really see a client one time. Again, some people have that theory, but for the most part, it's like, you know, a lot of rapport building, a lot of assessing and a lot of like, let's make some small changes. And when it comes to finances, you know, (laughs) this is not like losing weight, right? Like typically when we're relating, while we relate to finances every day, for the most part, you know, we, we kind of pay ourselves once a month or every other week. Right. And, And so operating kind of putting more space in between our sessions allows for more practice and development of skills. Um, And my hope is, is that by the end, not only is there more emotional confidence and empowerment around how to navigate financial situations in their business and personal life, um, but there's also like some basic financial education that comes along with that too, um, from a business, from a business standpoint. Well, this has been such an incredible conversation. I'm so grateful to like be learning and cultivating just money mindset. I know that that's something that when I've asked the audience or listeners, like, you know, what are things and what are topics that you feel are missing in our profession? What do we not learn in grad school or what are we struggling with as a business owner or as an entrepreneur, um, really highlighting these money narratives and scripts and really understanding them. And I, I appreciate it too, because kind of going back to what we talked about earlier about being human, it kind of um, reminds us that like, it's okay to focus on yourself because who you are as a human is going to impact how your business grows or the decisions you make. And so if you neglect that, or if you are ambivalent or avoidance, um, just the repercussions, not just for your business, but also personally and how that's going to impact that as well. Yeah. I would love to change that narrative, change that script within, within the mental health space. Um, it was quick story. So I got very frustrated and kind of angry early on in this program when I started realizing and putting together that from a clinical standpoint, you know, if we go back to the days of like getting a biopsychosocial, right? Like we get all the information from all the different areas of our client's life. Yet I couldn't think of, and I was guilty of this myself too. I was like, I cannot think of one time when I have asked about my client's financial health, how do they relate to money? What feelings come up for them? Like, and I was like, that's not even on my intake. Like I need to change that. Right. Like I need to start asking and talking about, but as clinicians, we talk about, we're so comfortable, right. Talking about sex intimacy, right? Mental health, depression, suicide, self-harm, right? Like we're so comfortable talking about these big topics, but not finances, like every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I had this like mini, like breakdown of like, oh my gosh, like this has to change, right? Like this has to change. And some of that I think is also kind of what sparked at least my interest in trying to get out there and do more coaching more advocacy, Mm. more teaching around, around this concept. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something that highlights it for me is like kind of that piece of whether you look at like maybe the old narratives of therapy and like the way therapists were taught to show up in the 
mental health space, like it kind of makes sense that finances is not on the intake because that was a personal thing that find that therapists were struggling with themselves to like own that space. So how can they then cultivate that in such a vulnerable healing way when maybe that's not even an area they're looking at? So I wonder then that from a research standpoint, um, right. Um, that we tend to be more of the money avoiders, right? Like no wonder we, yeah, yeah. So, so, well, tell me, because I'm wondering if anyone else is thinking this, that's listening. Um, tell me what would it be like, like if someone's listening right now and they're like, okay, either they want to work with you or they're also just like, wow, like, I didn't know I could specialize in this. Can you talk about like, what is this process like? Like, where would they even begin to look that up? If they're like, Hey, I think that would actually benefit me personally, but professionally. Yeah. So, um, again, I go back to the financial therapy association has their own certification process, um, and education within that. And so, that can be um, a very easy um, place to start and to start learning. Kansas State University, where um, I'm presently attending, they have a financial therapy certificate program, and currently it is the only one in the nation. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I would not be surprised if you start to see other universities and institutes start to implement and grow. I know the University of Georgia uh, also has kind of some overlap uh, there with it. Although, and if someone is listening, they can correct me. I don't believe that they have a formal education track for financial therapy. Uh, but my hope is, is that here in the next 10 years, it's really going to explode with, you know, with the market and inflation being what it is. And especially for us as millennials, um, I say us, I mean, you know, I'm a millennial. Yeah, I'm an older one. Sometimes I don't quite feel like I fit in, right? but I'm definitely a millennial. Um, but for us as millennials, you know, we've been through so much financial trauma in our lives. Um, you know, recessions, housing market crashes, pandemics, uh, wars. Like we've been through so much financial trauma uh, that knowing how to interact with money and improving our own financial health will be paramount to not only our success, but I'm going off here, but also the success of our country, right? And and in the world. So I know I'm getting a bit large here, right? Um, It is, absolutely. So I do see this field as taking off and exploding. And there are some truly fantastic folks um, within it. But the Financial Therapy Association, again, going back to you, is a great place to start. Kansas State University has a wonderful program there. They have LMFTs um, that are running and teaching and teaching that. And as an LMFT, I feel just kind of a kindred spirit to them there. So those are some great just starting places right now um, for that. Oh my gosh. Well, I love it. Well, everything you're sharing is so valuable, but also encouraging to, to kind of highlight what your passions are in terms of how multi-passionate you are as an LMFT, you know, in the financial therapy space, but also your desire to continue to learn and to see a need in the community and the mental health space. Um, and to want to meet that and want to change the narrative and, rewrite the script. Like it's very inspiring and just really appreciate having you on the podcast today. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram primarily. Um, and you can look at my handle it's at bam underscore consults. 
Um, that is kind of my financial mindset coaching. I also am a co-owner of the wealthy marriage. So on Instagram, it's at the wealthy marriage. And that is my financial coaching for couples where my husband and I collaborate on. Um, he is a certified financial planner. Um, I'm an LMFT. It feels like we were meant to be married and do this work together. Um, but that is geared more towards couples. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn. Um, Ashley Kwame. Um, I don't know of a lot of other Ashley Kwame's on there. So um, <laughs> probably the only one. Um, but yeah, those are the main handles. Um, my website, uh, www.bamfcc is another way. Um, or my email. I'll give you my email and you can blow it up. So um, pretty open to being found um, at this point. Yeah. So um, lots of great ways to get in touch with me. Um, one last thing I will also say is that I also provide um, course training for mental health professionals, understanding what to do when money shows up in the room for their clients. So if they're wanting some training on what to do, it's employing some financial therapy Ooh. skills, basic skills, some of what we talked about today, some tactics and tips. The Georgia Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, I'll be presenting um, to one of their chapters in October. But if you are someone who is in charge Ooh. of putting on continuing ed events and you would like for me to come and speak um, to mental health providers specifically on financial therapy, I would love nothing more than to come and get up on a soapbox for an hour or however long you'll have me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you're, I already would love to have you because I don't know if you know, I'm the president of the local association of therapists for camp, which is like our local chapter. So we would love to have you apply to be a CE speaker. <laughs> no wonder. It's like we're mentally be together. Like oh my gosh, I love it so, so much. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be awesome. But I'm more than happy. Although, you know, I do train financial planners. Um, I'm also, um, I neglected to mention, also happy um, and very willing to come and do financial therapy skills training for mental health providers Yay. as well. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Yeah. Awesome. You're welcome. Thanks. Have a great day. So you want to launch a private practice, but you don't know where to begin. Well, you are in luck. Our signature course flourishing in private practice is coming October, 2022. This 12 hour self-paced course is perfect if you are a pre-licensed student, trainee, associate, or even a licensed therapist that is wanting to learn more about strengthening your private practice or curious to take the leap from agency to being your own boss. This course will walk you through all the steps from the basics of setting up your business structure creating your brand, building your reputation in the field, and strengthening your systems to help your business flourish. This course is filled to the brim with tangible examples, templates, and structure to help your business thrive and for you to grow and flourish personally and professionally. If this is you and you are wanting in, go to our website at theflourishingtherapreneur.com to join our waitlist to be the first to know when the doors open. We also have a free download on our website called 10 Steps to Starting a Private Practice, and it's available for you today. So if you're wanting to get started sooner or dip your feet into the idea, don't wait another moment. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as that helps other clinicians and therapreneurs find our community and thrive through our offerings. Want to take your business a step further? Visit theflourishingtherapreneur.com or our Instagram with the same handle. Connect with our free community or sign up for an upcoming course to help cultivate your thriving business and endeavors so you can flourish personally and professionally. Until next time, I'm your host, Claire Blakey, and I believe you deserve to flourish as a therapreneur.